Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. My dear father loved to say, hop to the top of the day. The drops are easy to swallow. My dear father loved to say, mop your tears and mend your sorrows to not drown your soul wishing for better tomorrows. You want to think bright. You want to think right. Those, of course, are the song stylings of Ewan McGregor. And who doesn't rush out to buy the new Ewan McGregor record whenever he puts one out? Well, actually, it turns out he can actually sing. I would not have guessed that. Uh, all right. And that is, in fact, from the new Pinocchio, the Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, one of three animated movies we're going to talk about today. The others being Puss in Boots and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Two of these movies are based on old Italian folk tales or fairy tales or children's novels. One of them is definitely not an old Italian <laughs> folk tale or a fairy tale. Um, and there's many other ways to talk about these in conjunction with one another. And also separately, we're going to do all of that. Did I say that all three of these are nominated for uh, the Best uh, Animation Oscar, uh, Best Animated Film Oscar? And here to talk about all of them are Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, Dancer, uh, founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance, and also manager of the career of her personal cat, Harry, who does look a little bit like the cat in Puss in Boots. Um, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Pedro Soto is president and CEO of High Grade Precision Technologies, making a rare appearance on our show for an episode with no Star Wars tie-in. Uh, but it's all good. It's all great. And we're going to talk about all these movies. We will start with uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio. It is... Uh, stop motion animation, but it's like stop motion animation at a very elite and possibly an unprecedented level because it's Guillermo del Toro. Uh, let's hear a little bit uh, of dialogue here. Uh, you can hear some of the premise of the movie being established by the aforementioned Ewan McGregor, who plays the cricket, you know, the non Jiminy cricket, basically, uh, and Tilda Swinton, who plays both the Blue Angel and the Wood Sprite. Here she is, the Wood Sprite. And I think actually technically Tilda Swinton is a wood sprite. It's, she's acting when she plays, you know, other things. All right. Here we go with A1. May I ask, who on earth are you? On earth? A guardian. I care for the little things, the forgotten things, the lost ones. Well, I am Sebastian J. Cricket, homeowner, and I have every right to be consulted about your schemes and machinations regarding my property. Well... Since you already live in the heart of the Wooden Boy, perhaps you can help me. Help you what? To watch over him, guide him, to be good. I'm not a governess, madam. I'm a novelist, a raconteur, currently immersed in writing my memoirs. Well, in this world, you get what you give. Take on this responsibility, and I will grant you one wish. And that could be... Anything, anything at all. The publication of my book, fame, fortune. Anything, 
Oh, maybe I can help. I'll try my best, and that's the best anyone can do. <laughs> that's rather clever, isn't it? So wishes are one of the enduring themes on the uh, movies that we're talking about today. Um, so Irene Papoulos, get us started here. I'm asking you because I know that uh, this that the Del Toro Pinocchio may be may have a slight edge as your favorite among the three that we watched. And the more I think about it, the bigger an edge it has. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's a beautiful expression of. Uh, the power of disobedience, I mean, disobedience as opposed to obedience and how disobedience can be um, a force for good in the world uh, in contrast to the, you know, I think about the Disney as a child. I love the Disney Pinocchio because I always wanted to be a really good girl. And he was a good model for, you know, at least that's how I remember it. I don't remember it that clearly, but I remember, you know, you know, you shouldn't lie and all those kind of values. And this one turned that around in a way that is kind of about, for me, the more I think about it, the, you know, Ukraine, this is the first anniversary of the war beginning and the idea of fighting fascism and fighting forces that are, that are, that are ultimately destructive um, is really what it's about. Right. We should mention that this uh, story is transposed a bit to uh, Italy in the 1930s. We actually see the uh, character representing Mussolini. I mean, he he's, he is Mussolini uh, in the, in the re- within the reality of this uh, film. So, yeah, there is this whole kind of notion of fascism. Um, and I don't know. I mean, say a little bit more about that. So that's interesting. You kind of extrapolated from there to Ukraine. But this this movie does feel very topical to me, very of the moment in a certain way. Yeah, because this Pinocchio is different from the other Pinocchio, you know, and and there's even the other Pinocchio at the beginning of this movie, you know, without any any spoilers. And so he's he's very much in contrast. He's he's different and he's not recognized as different at first. Um, He's he's you know, everyone wants him to be good in the traditional way. And he resists that and he keeps resisting that and has an interesting adventure through his resistance and ultimate connection with people um because i think it's it's also about the need you know in that sense i would say all these movies are about are sort of pandemic emerging from the pandemic movies about the need for connecting with people and the and the longing that people have no matter what they say on the outside to connect with other people all right, but, but he does it through disobedience, you know. <laughs> but by, I'm being told uh, from the booth, as they say, that Ewan McGregor has actually sung in Moulin Rouge and Down With Love and actually played mm-hmm. Sky Masterson uh, in Guys and Dolls in the West End in London. Uh, so there, uh, he can sing. And it's obvious he does a pretty good job with those songs. Although, Carolyn... I think the songs are wrong. I mean, I would have enjoyed these songs in something else. They have, they're actually written by, I think, a, um, a composer named Alexander Desplat or something like that. Uh, they sound like they're written by Sondheim, kind of, the same kind of harmonics. I don't know. It just doesn't really, I don't really know why this is a musical. I think you were wondering that too. Yeah, I hated that it was a musical. The second that a song started and I realized that this was a musical, I was like, oh no, this they, they found a way to make this worse. Um, and the songs were weird to me. They were creepy and <laughs> catchy, but not like in a good way. Mm-hmm. You you didn't want to be singing it in your head. Um, and for me, I always love a good villain song. I always think villains get the best songs. And the carnival leader guy, his song was the worst. So how can you ruin a villain song? Uh, I, I don't know. I I struggled with 
Pinocchio because I I just felt for me I I loved the technique and how it was made. I actually highly recommend that people watch the making of documentary that is on Netflix. It's like a half hour long and goes into it interviews Del Toro and cast members and production team and to see how it's made. And there's an exhibit that's supposed to be really good at MoMA right now um, with the art from Pinocchio. And I loved it as a piece of art so much. But I felt that the script and especially the songs, it all fell short to me. And I was saying to Irene before the show, I, I don't want a cartoon to make me cry. I don't want that from, <laughs> I don't want to leave a cartoon feeling stressed out or weepy or any of that depressed because I'm watching a cartoon for escapism. So I just felt very like emotionally violated by this movie. <laughs> there's, there's the blurb for the advertising. Um, You're welcome. I, I yes. felt emotionally violated. Carolyn Payne, Entertainment News. Um, <laughs> all right, Pedro. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to talk about, including I really want to talk about AI. I don't know if you want to talk about that, mm-hmm. or, not, that or not. But and, and I also want to talk about how much Pinocchio in this movie looks like Groot. But I'm the only person who finds out amusing. So, Pedro, I'll just <laughs> let, I, I also know for a fact yeah. that although your family watched the other movies with you, you kind of were, I think it sounded like maybe left alone in the living room uh, to, oh, yeah. to get through Pinocchio. Everyone checked out on this one. Um so my daughter did not want to see it at all. She saw the trailer and was like, no. And then my wife um, was like, yeah, we're we're done. I think it was about after the first once. the <laughs> actually, actually, I think after the, the first or second, about 40 minutes into the movie. Um, and I think that, I mean, overall, you know what? What Irene says about this and about the disobedience, um, I like that version of the movie that you described. I think that's actually really great. And seeing that, like, yeah, I think that 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 was successful in it. Um, but the story itself and the music was weird. <laughs> you know, Pinocchio's really annoying in the beginning. Like, and I guess now I see why, because they had to make him really insufferable so that you would kind of hate him being bad, but realize that him being bad is actually him being good. However, um, it just this it just didn't resonate like this story it felt like i'm like i'm looking at like an old fairy tale story from the 1800s and now it's in you know there's this kind of fascism subplot and it just none of it came together in a way that felt like i was seeing this 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 classic story told in kind of like some some new way um and i think had it actually been told without music had it been told maybe a little bit more sort of seriously than than like the parts that are like downright depressing or downright nihilistic at, at the end, I think just would have maybe hit home a little bit more. But the movie just felt all over the place for me. All right. Let's hear a little bit more from the movie, particularly because we're talking about uh, fascism. Uh, we are going to hear uh, uh, a, this is a cut that it features David Bradley as the voice of Geppetto. I just want to say David Bradley, um, who obviously you don't see in this movie. But if you, the name sounds vaguely familiar, he's two things. He's two major franchises. He's Walder Frey in A Game of Thrones. <laughs> but he's also, I don't know what the guy's name is, but he's the guy who's sort of the custodian of Hogwarts. He's the guy who, the kind of crabby guy who, you know, shows you to a room and kind of grows with the up. Cat. Yeah, yeah. With the cat. The, cat. the guy with the cat. Yeah, he's that guy. Uh, anyway, he's the voice of Geppetto. Uh, Gregory Mann is the voice of Pinocchio. And uh, this is A2 Cat. What will we do? Oh, don't worry. 
worry, Papa. I'll go to war. It sounds quite fun. I can learn to fight and, and fire a weapon and march like no. this... No! Pinocchio! War is not fun! War is not good! War... War took Carlo away from me. Then I simply won't go. But you have to go now. It's the law. Even when it's something bad? Yes, we all have to obey the law, whether we like it or not. Why? I don't have time or patience enough to explain that to you. I, I, I owe that man a fortune. And, and you, you will be taken far away and recruited into military youth camp. And now, now, look what you've turned me into. I made you to be like Carlo. Why can't you be more like Carlo? Because I'm not Carlo. I don't want to be like Carlo. Carlo Enough! You are such a burden. By the way, the leader of the fascists, I mean, the non-Mussolini leader of the fascists, the local leader of the fascists is named Podesta, which I found very disorienting. Was he like, you know, Mussolini's campaign manager? Did his emails get hacked? I, I, why did he do that? <laughs> so, um, so, Irene, uh, first of all, I, I'm a little bit more on your side than uh, Pedro and, and Carolyn might seem to be. Uh, I mean, ultimately, this movie did win me over. Although, one thing I did struggle with, and maybe this is just true to the nature of fairy tales, is it doesn't really have um, a Papulian through line. I mean, in the sense, anyway, that it's very episodic, right? So the fascism subplot comes up uh, and then it goes away and it's replaced by a giant dogfish and then that goes away. And, you know, although there's some steady characters there, I mean, for example, the, the, the Podesta's son, Candlewick, is kind of built up into an interesting character, and then boom, he's gone. And I sort of thought, I could be, just could have been in the mood I was in, but I felt like I just... I felt like the thing was sort of dabbling in each one of its topics as opposed to kind of holding them all together. I don't know. React to that, though. Okay. Well, um, I, I, I can't completely disagree with you uh, there. And I was thinking that when actually here at listening to, to Carolyn and Pedro, I'm thinking, you know, my, my relationship to quote unquote cartoons or animated films is, is so um, I, I usually don't have much to do with them. So I was thinking, I was sort of thinking I wasn't going to be very drawn to this and it pulled me in, in a way because of it, because of of the things that would pull a normal, a regular movie in for me, which is, you know, the psychology, the characterizations, et cetera, um, and not even the plot necessarily. But if I think about it in other terms, like I should think about it as an animated film and what it means. I mean, I did think it was beautiful uh, in terms of the, you know, the art of it, but I don't know very much about it and I wasn't really thinking that much about it. So I, I kind of for, maybe forgave those things. But at the same time, the thread, that's why I keep going back to the thread of disobedience because it's fascism, but it's also, why can't you be more like Carlo? You know, like so many children suffer from that attitude on, in, on their parents' part. And for me, that goes so far that I want, I wanted to see the end of the story and I felt satisfied at the end of the story um, in spite of what Pedro had to say about it, which is kind of an interesting point too. But um, they, maybe you could say that, Pedro. But yeah, I mean, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I actually have to say that I did feel like, why are they doing these songs? Because it wasn't a music, it wasn't a musical, but then it was a musical for a little bit. So that's another example of what you're saying, Colin. And I have to agree. 
you know, that even the musical part was kind of like, oh, let's throw in a song. But then they forgot about that. Right. I'm being told. The movie went on. I'm being told from the booth that a Podesta is actually a title. uh, And so it wasn't even his name. It was the holder of the highest office in the government at that time in the cities of central and northern Italy. Uh, during the late but for us, it was his name. It's yeah, his name. It's his Come name. on. All right. Yeah. So um, I just don't want to get any emails from people saying, don't you even know a Podesta's a title? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so we have to go very quickly because we have to get over to, to Puss in Boots here. But, um, but Carolyn, you know, just, just sort of back to the creepiness. I think Pinocchio is inevitably kind of creepy. Uh, and, and just the fact that, you know, he's a little wooden boy and then he starts talking. And I don't know if you saw the Spielberg movie AI, but uh, in, in that movie, Haley Joel Osment's character is very, very – he's – he is AI. Uh, he is uh, some kind of android. And he is very informed by the story of Pinocchio and sees, sees it as applicable to his own situation. He's always looking for the blue angel. And that is one creepy freaking movie. Uh, I have <laughs> just never really kind of shaken it off. But actually, Pedro, since you're laughing, you yeah. obviously get it. Maybe I'll address this to you. I have another question for Carol in, in yeah. just a second. But you know, the echoes of that came back to me. It's like, no wonder. It's actually a pretty brilliant thing for the Spielberg movie to have done to invoke Pinocchio because all of that kind of uncanny valley stuff is embedded in the folktale. Yeah, I think, in fact, as sort of like a taking Pinocchio into something sort of, I guess, well, now it's, what, 20 years at this point old. Um, I think that one is maybe more successful because of, of that because it takes the story and turns it into something different. Um, and yeah, I think AI, I haven't seen it in a few years. And I think I know, I think I'd be surprised to see how that has aged and that might have aged actually probably better than we think. But yeah, that is a creepy movie. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. Um, and then the second time I saw it, I, I was definitely more like, okay, I see it and I, I really enjoy it. But it's definitely, um, I mean, it's speaking to Pinocchio, right? What does it mean to be a real boy? I mean, look at all this stuff about AI and now with like virtual AI on like, you know, search engines and stuff. I think that there's a lot of questions to be asked there. Um, and 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 I think that, yeah, it it, it turns it. I, I, I like, like I said, I think with with AI, you can see the the link to Pinocchio pretty clearly. And this movie kind of does drive that point home when you kind of see the differences of what AI did versus what, what, where this goes. Right. And, you know, one point, and this will get me back to Carolyn, uh, mm-hmm. about AI is, I mean, at least in the conventional sense, AI can't die. If we have relationships, mm-hmm. sort of Frank Langella-type relationships with artificial intelligences going forward, one thing that we're going to have to accept is we're going to die and they won't. Uh, and so, Carolyn, in the case of Pinocchio, it's also true. He can't die. He doesn't die. Although we do find out what happens when you sort of die. And I guess it's what happens when people die, too, which is you go to a place where there are <laughs> bunnies. So we, yes. we have to talk about Thank the Thank you for bringing up the death bunnies. Um, so the death bunnies came up in a point in this movie where I was literally it was kind of my I need to turn this off. I'm over it. Uh <laughs> And then the death bunnies came through carrying Pinocchio's coffin. And uh, I fell in love with them. Like if I was a child, I'd want a toy death bunny to play with. I'd want the stuffed animal of that. Um, they just are this what great- What you love about them? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. They were cute. They were weird. Uh, they were so like del Toro in styling. Like yeah. they had this great, you know, exoskeleton suit on over their cute little bunny 
mm-hmm. fur. Uh, and and then, you know, it's like after they were done, the little song they were singing, like I said, I love a good villain, creepy song. They had the best song in the movie, mm-hmm. probably their little <laughs> their little funeral dirge that they were singing. And then they sit down after they deposit the coffin, they just sit down and start playing a card game. Um, yeah, that felt like the most Del Toro part of the movie. Yeah, I I was all in for the Death Bunny. So thank you for getting that worked in here, Colin, because I think if you're going to watch this movie, they're a real little gem to look out for. Right. By the way, the Death Bunnies are voiced by a single person. Tim Blake Nelson is actually the voice of the Death Bunny. <laughs> I should also point out that yeah. the, the uh, carnival leader, Count Volpe, whom uh, Carolyn didn't like or didn't like his song, is played by Christoph Waltz. Yes, <laughs> he is Count Volpe. Yes, yes Mr. Bond, I have taken your wooden puppet. Uh, all right, so we have to switch. <laughs> we have to switch gears here uh, to Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, uh, and actually, we're probably going to be staying with Carolyn at the beginning of this because I don't think we really would have done this except that uh, she uh, went to see it very early, partly because of her cat, partly because of her nephew, uh, and so let's hear a little bit about this. This this is of course an extension of the Puss in Boots line uh, uh, in DreamWorks. It's their their second movie. Puss in Boots also appears, I think, in all of the Shrek movies. I think that's kind of how this gets started. Uh, and obviously, Puss in Boots also very, very, very old story it goes back to the 1500s, I believe. So um, we're going to hear um, the, of course, Antonio Banderas is the voice of Puss in Boots, uh, and uh, Anthony Mendez is the voice of a doctor. This is oh, this is a three cat. Puss in Boots. How do I say this? You died, <sighs> doctor. Please. Relax! I am Pussy Boots! I laugh at death! <laughs> you see? And anyway, I am a cat. I have nine lives. That makes eight, Puss. You are down to your last life. My prescription? No more adventures for you. You need to retire. Me? Retire? Are you the village comedian as well? Puss, is there any safe place you can go? Any special someone you can rely on in this moment of need? <laughs> I am Puss in Boots, loved by one and all. Anyone in particular? I mean, uh, how could I possibly choose? Mm-hmm. This is the address of Mama Luna. She is a cat fancier, always on the lookout for a new lap cat. You will be safe there. Lap cat? I am no lap cat, doctor. I am Puss in Boots. Not anymore. Doctor's orders. All right, so uh, we should say that uh, Selma Hayek comes along. I guess she's Selma Hayek Pinot. I didn't know that. As the voice of Kitty Softpaw, sort of a partner in crime. Um, a really interesting performance by Harvey Guillen uh, as the voice of Perito, a little dog we get to know. Florence Pugh and Olivia Coleman are Goldilocks and Mama Bear, respectively. Papa Bear is the Ray Winstone, who's, I think, the big hulking guy in Rome, the HBO series Rome. John Mulaney is Jack Horner. I could go on. but So, Carolyn, um, I don't know. Tell me a little bit about how you, Harry, your nephew, anybody reacted to this movie. Uh, well, I... I was excited to see this because I I liked the Shrek franchise and Puss in Boots uh, is definitely a character I, I quite enjoyed. I have a soft spot for a roguish orange cat. Um, so I was excited to see this and watched it with my nephew. Uh, and this is the kind of cartoon I love because it's not like saccharine. It's not just designed for kids. It has this like darker side. It has... Uh, it has adult some adult themes and humor, but it also is not, you know, forcing you to have all these feels like Pinocchio and Marcel the Shell. 
Um, but <laughs> this movie, but like I said, because it's darker, I loved my nephew gave the best review of this movie, saying that any one of the fairy tale characters in it would induce nightmares. And that's kind of true. The uh the Jack Hormer character uh is so weird looking. Uh it, it, it this movie is weird in a in a wonderful way and it i i just think it's really cute which is what i want i'm that's what i'm in it for with a cartoon you have cute kitties you have some action uh you have some funny lines uh, you know it, it was it's fun i think this is just a really fun movie all right there should be a new uh movie rating like e c a p may contain emotions you know <laughs> carolyn yeah. Payne, carolyn Payne be warned <laughs> um, so um so yeah i don't know pedro this feels to me although there's a lot of you know some postmodern stuff going on and certainly one of the things shrek did was kind of open the gates to combining all the different uh characters from fairy tales pinocchio as a, as a cameo here um i don't know what was your overall take yeah i i really liked um puss in boots and i i went into it not thinking i was gonna enjoy it because i think that as I did like Shrek when they first came out. I love the, the satire and, and smashing together all the fairy tales. Um, kind of as that has gone on, I think it's just started that started to kind of feel like one note. Um, so I was expecting more of that. And to have a story come in um, again, as in all of the the uh, nominees that we're talking about, um, you know, it's about death. It's about facing facing the end um, and coming to terms with that. And it, and they did it. I thought they did it really well. Um, I really liked, I thought the, you know, I, I love, I mean, he's basically like a Zorro character. Right. And so, and what do you do with a invincible hero who, who finds out he's no longer invincible and, and what does he, what does he fear most? Well, we see what he fears most in the movie and that's death and, and he faces it. And, um, you know, it was, I, I really, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, thought the music actually was, was, good in this one the few songs that, mm -hmm. that, were, that were in it um and you know it's 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 kind of like the the state of of films today i maybe it's the pixarification or maybe it was the shrekification of taking some heady themes and and working it into some uh you know into a a, a fun movie uh, worked. It just all came together nicely. You know, visually, one thing about this, and I'm the I'm, mm -hmm. I'm the person who tends to miss this kind of thing, but it is a slight visual alteration on standard com computer animation. And one of the things they apparently were influenced by was uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, mm -hmm. where there was mm -hmm. an eff effort made to make it look like drawings. In other words, make it a little bit closer to the drawn source material uh, of comic books. And, and this one, there was an effort to make it look a little bit more like like a book illustration, which I didn't. Really pick up at the time. Well, and they especially well, it switches use, back and forth. Yeah, yeah, they use that technique during the epic battle between Puss and the Death Wolf, um, mm -hmm. and I thought that was that was really cool. It added a lot to the scene and gave it that kind of graphic novel, comic mm -hmm. book reference. Right. So, Irene, mm -hmm. you haven't been heard from about Puss and Boots, Boots: The Last Wish, and yeah. I don't know what question to ask you either. Okay, well, just on the visual, I love the way the map changed depending on who was looking at it. That was mm -hmm. beautiful, the way it worked and the way, it, you know, and little Perito, um, who was always cheerful, you know, <laughs> his map changed to a cheerful map. That was great. And so, and I, so I also can't, you know, since I'm the characterization person, I liked, I love the, 
you know, like little Jack Horner, Jack Horner, who was used to be little Jack Horner and, and turned into hey, greedy, Jack. horrible, yeah, yeah self satisfied, you know, corporation always wanting more kind of a character. And I didn't even know it was John Mulaney until afterwards. And that made it even better. Um, and, you know, he, he got what he deserved, but he just wanted more, 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 more. That came across so, so really well. And, um, and, you know, the idea of male vulnerability was interesting, I thought, you know, and connected to aging, you know, I can't be the puss in boots that I used to be. Um, and also, you know, his whole love story was kind of was kind of fun to follow how he sort of evolved, let's say, as a man in terms of his own vulnerability. I thought it was kind of interesting. <laughs> All right. So that's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, another Oscar nominee. We got to take a break. So we'll have time for Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We're back. This is The Nose. We're talking about three of the Oscar-nominated animated films, uh, and we are doing this with Carolyn Payne, Irene Papoulis, and Pedro Soto. So uh, last but uh, hardly least uh, is Marcel Lachelle with shoes on. Uh, <laughs> this is a hard one to describe unless you are familiar with the YouTube video <laughs> shorts, which preceded it. Uh, but Marcel is uh, about a one-inch um, shell. Uh, maybe the kind of shell that ordinarily a hermit crab might inhabit, but instead we see Marcel's eyeball. Uh, he's kind of a little kid. Uh, he's voiced by Jenny Slate. Uh, this is very much another story about loss. Uh, it's a story also about aging and death and wanting to protect uh, an, an uh, elderly relative whom you both need and also do feel like you need to shelter. Uh, and we'll hear a little bit of it right here. Uh, you're going to hear uh, um, the two main voices. Uh, Jenny Slate is the voice of Marcel, who is a stop motion animation. And then Dean Fleischer Camp, who is sort of well, he's the human being most frequently in this movie, and he is played by himself as a real human being in live action. This is complicated. He's also the director of the movie, and it turns out just Jenny Slate's ex-husband. So here we go. Here's Marcel B1. Is it hard for you? Has it been hard for you since? Mm. Not in the way that I think you would think it would be, but... Uh, 
It's pretty much common knowledge that it takes at least 20 shells to have a community. That that's about minimum you need to survive, so... I think at first I was thinking, well, we're not gonna make it. But sometimes you just have to disregard those rules and think, well, actually the rule is that I want to be having a good life and stay alive and... And not just survive, but have a good life. Back when the man and the woman lived here, there were a lot of us. More sounds and smells and, and, and things to say, because there were more people to talk to. These days, it's quieter. All right, and there's a little bit of the premise of the movie in there. Uh, Marcel comes from a much larger family or flock of shells, uh, but most of them uh, have disappeared. They disappeared when the married couple who had been living in the house broke up. We find out exactly how and why that happened. I don't, I don't know if it would be a spoiler to tell you, but I won't take that <laughs> chance. Uh, so, Pedro, just tell me a little bit about how, how you and possibly everybody else mm-hmm. in your house reacted to Marcel. Um, I, I love this movie, and I think that... Um, this was a movie where um, I think, you know, my family was definitely like interested. It was like, well, what is this kind of curious? And then the story, um, the humor, the emotion in the movie really grabbed everyone. And um, this might have been the favorite, I think, of the house. I'd have to I'd have to ask again this weekend. But I think after seeing this one, that was the general consensus. Um, and I think that just i mean you can kind of hear it in that in that clip um but taking what started out as a youtube video and turning turning it into this meditation of you know there's definitely some pandemic talking in there but meditation on loss and aging and fear um and what it means to be alone and what it means to then be you know with people again i think it was just it was it was really beautifully done um the meta stuff in the movie I felt was a little bit clunky. Um, so every time we were in the world where it was just them and the documentarian, I, I was, it was, I was really engaged. And then, um, you know, as they start to spin it out a little bit more, it got a little bit rough, but I thought it really just ends in a beautiful place. Yeah, I mean, Carolyn, I, I hate to say it, but I could sort of imagine one of those books they sell by the cash register in bookstores and maybe <laughs> other stores, just sort of quotations. Uh, Marcel is very philosophical, says <laughs> things like, it's always what they say on the days when you have a really keen sense of being lost or losing something, that it often feels like the sun shines the brightest. And, mm. and it was a really sunny day with a good breeze. And I just remember thinking, if I was somebody else, I would really be enjoying this. Um, and you know, there, there's like a lot of those in there, Carolyn. And I will say, I was completely beguiled by, by all of that, by not only Marcel, but his attempt to have an outlook on life. How about you? I, I think that that was one of the things that I found most compelling with this. I, I did like my favorite line was Marcel is talking about the dog missing, seeing something truly elegant. And then said of the dog, what a sad type of idiot. And I loved that. I think that's a great, that's how I'm going to now start insulting people. I'm going to call them sad types of idiots. But <laughs> there, I, I found myself, I did find, uh, I found a whole webpage that has Marcel the Shell quotes. Uh, and there's really a quote for everything. <laughs> um, it's really a lot to digest, a lot to, to take in there. And 
I mean, this movie was interesting to me. So I was not necessarily, I remember like a decade or so ago when Marcel the Shell hit YouTube and everyone was sharing it on their social media and acting like it was the greatest thing. Uh, and and I, I remember just not really getting it. I was like, it's a shell wearing shoes. Like why? Uh, and I think Jenny Slate brings so much to this. And I think there, but I don't know if we really needed the whole movie of Marcel the Shell. Um, I think that it's well done for what it is. And it is very, uh, it's visually unique. And I, I mean, the concept of this little tiny shell, which essentially is a piece of trash, like living in this house and walking around and having all this like deep, you know, these deep philosophical little sound bites. It's fascinating. But uh, I found myself wanting now a movie of, do you guys know who Henri the cat is from YouTube? Yes. It's a cat. Yes. Yeah. The cat, the existential yeah. cat. Yeah. If Marcel the Shell yeah. gets a movie, Henri the existential cat should now get a movie as well. You should be calling your agent or or Harry the cat's agent. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he'd be great for that role. I don't know if he can really express that kind of ennui, maybe with some good acting coaching. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I recommend an early endorsement for me. This movie had me uh, going nostalgic for Henri the existential cat. You know, so um, Carolyn, I mean, excuse me, Irene, to Carolyn's point, there it is sort of true that, you know, five minutes of Puss in Boots, uh, The Last Wish, has more going on in it probably than the entire 90 minutes, or how, <laughs> however long Marcel is. Although I think that's kind of the point, right? This is sort of slow food. This is a much more meditative movie about what it's like to be alive on an average day, not alive on a day when a death wolf is trying to kill you. Absolutely. I have to say that when I first, you know, for the first five minutes or so, I said, how am I possibly going to get through 90 <laughs> minutes of this? You know, it's like a tiny little, and it's not a cartoon, which I thought it was going to be, it's this tiny little shell in a real house, walking around or rolling around, thinking about things and talking. And I just, I just, I just wasn't, but then, um, but then, then uh, his grandmother, uh, who's played, whose voice I did recognize, Isabella Rossellini, and she does such a beautiful job uh, of 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 being the character and just uh, just who the character is. And I, yeah, I sort of got into the the. I got. I, I, I didn't want it to hurry up. I I wanted it to keep going. And um, and I love and we saw heard it in the clip too. The way there's never no one ever says, "But you're a shell. What is this? What's it, what, what do you mean? You're just this thing living in the drawer." You know, it's as though they're you know the movie takes them completely seriously as you know legitimate, not not necessarily people, but they could just have, as well have been people. And and that is a kind of an interesting just nuttiness that. That, that, that I didn't I didn't know anything about the YouTube thing or anything. I just sort of came to it cold. And it's like, okay, a, a shell is a character. All right. A, a shell is a character with all these feelings. And Isabella Rossellini is, um, you know, an aging grandmother who's also who, who sort of has dementia, but she's also got all this wisdom that she's, you know, and, and desire to help Marcel and like, okay, you know, it wasn't, it, it, you know, and then Leslie Stahl came into it, <laughs> which I thought was really fun. Although, do you notice and, that, first of all, I love it, Leslie yeah. Stahl, and I've actually worked with Leslie yeah. Stahl, and she's an absolutely lovely person. Although, do you notice that they really didn't, she didn't really have a scene with Marcel. They sort of cut from her about to talk to mm. Marcel to being done mm -hmm. with Marcel. And I think, you know, if you think about Muppets, the old Muppet TV show, there were people who could like, you know, the trick to that, if you were the guest was you just had to talk to the Muppets 
like they were people, you know. <laughs> and and I mean, Dizzy Gillespie treated the Muppets like just people in his band, you know. I mean, he didn't, you know, and he looked like a Muppet anyway, uh, with the cheeks all blown out. But I just wondered, maybe Leslie was just not able to do that because one thing I can tell you is there was no there was no shell there. I mean, they had like a little shell on a stick. They had to shoot the live action separately and then add the stop motion. They had to shoot the movie twice essentially and combine the two uh, in order to make this work. And so maybe just was a little bit more than Leslie could handle, uh, but she's a good sport for doing it, as you pointed out. So she did. She did kind of have, have a deadpan attitude of you know the way she was asking the questions and everything that I thought was really good. You know, just as though she's asking anyone else a question. Right. Um, but yeah, she she had to do it in a studio by herself <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was kind of uh, disappointed uh, that Nathan Fielder. Uh, who just has a little thing at the end, uh, voicing one of the shells, a shell named Justin. Didn't have <laughs> Nathan Fielder's perfect for this project. <laughs> they should have they yeah. should have beefed up his part considerably. Um, Is that the guy from the rehearsal? Yes, the, yes. he's the guy that did the rehearsal. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking it sort of reminded me of that. You know, yeah. just a completely wacky idea that you never would have thought of. But they thought of it and they went for it he's, he's in a the way shell, that you have to admire. He's the shell yeah. near the end and the family reunion. Having, he's having a little trouble walking down the wall with the sticky it's stuff his on brother. his brother. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have to stop there. Uh, but I, I think we all recommend this movie. Um, get yeah. past those first five minutes. You're going to be fine. All right. We need time <laughs> to make some endorsements on the other end. That's what we're going to do. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Time to say thank you to Cat Pastor, who's not Puss in Boots, a uh, different kind of cat entirely, uh, but a wonderful cat who's our technical producer, uh, and uh, also to Jonathan McPants, who uh, does wear shoes uh, in addition to pants, uh, and is the producer of this particular episode and all episodes of The Nose whenever possible. All right, time to make some recommendations. So, Pedro Soto, why don't you get us going? Okay. Um, so, I'm sticking with animation uh, for this one one well-known and one pretty deep cut. Um, the first is, as actually you mentioned earlier, um, but I think a movie which um, is one of my favorite animated movies in the last 10 years, uh, and that is Spider-Man Beyond the uh, uh, Beyond the Spider-Verse. And um, that's a movie which takes a existing property and tells it in a fresh new way. Um, kind of like what Pinocchio, I think, tried to do um, and tells a story. So it's the, you know, obviously classic Peter Parker story. So if you haven't seen it because you don't want to see another superhero movie, go see it because it's an absolutely beautiful movie. Also one with really strong, um, if you're, you know, if you want uh, to see a movie that has good representation of, um, you know, other other people, minorities, people that look like you. This is really a perfect movie for that. So I do want, I do suggest that. The second is, um, so there's a, if you want some claymation, uh, stop motion animation, that's really weird. Um, there's a Mark Twain claymation movie that came out in 1985. And I believe it's just called The Adventures of Mark Twain. 
And uh, it was out in the theaters for apparently like two or three weeks, which I saw in the theaters when I was eight. So apparently I'm one of the very few people who've seen it in the theater. It is a weird, wild trip. Uh, it's obviously uh, with Mark Twain. So there's him from being Connecticut, which is another reason I recommended it. Uh, but it's a weird story. I think you can find it online somewhere. And um, it is, like I said, it's hard to describe, but it's basically Mark Twain's stories told as a narrator with claymation and it's it will be a fun weekend rabbit hole to go down okay that is all <laughs> all right mcpants has already found uh, the poster for it put it up on my slack uh okay. yeah into the spider-verse <laughs> that spider-man movie is amazing I, my son and i saw it at trinity and it was it just really is a remarkable thing it even makes you like post malone and that's not easy to do <laughs> all right so um carolyn what are you going to recommend so I will also recommend another animated movie, and this is another one of the Oscar-nominated movies for this year, is Disney's turning, Disney Pixar's turning red. Um, I loved this movie. I feel like it didn't really get the talk. I, it got a lot of talk because there was some pushback because it deals with um, a young girl getting her period. And I think that that's kind of a topic that a lot of people are like, you know, get all weird talking about, but I think it's so important. And I found this movie so relatable. The girl in it reminded me of me in those like, you know, early teen years where you're, you have those hormones turning you into a crazy monster fighting with your mother and just being generally, you know, wild. And, and it's just this like great way to look at like coming of age and uh, being a woman and, and all these things. And I thought it was so creative and it was also the first Pixar movie to have a full entire team of all female creatives working on it, which was really cool. Um, so I recommend that one. Oh, great. Uh, thanks for so much for doing that. And Irene Papoulis, what are you going to recommend to us? I have two quick ones. Uh, well, uh, one is um, if you feel like going to a play, this a local play this weekend, go see Indecent. This is the last weekend of it. It's playing at the um, Playhouse on Park in West Hartford. And it's just such a wonderful experience. It's and and that's you know it's about Yiddish theater in Eastern Europe. It's about anti-Semitism and it's about homophobia, and those are very serious issues. But it, they make it play, playful and fun, and it's serious, but it's also really fun to watch. There's a lot of moving around. People play different parts. There's singing. There's dancing. That's really top notch, and it's a very fun show. Um, so I, so and this is the last weekend that it's going to be there. Um, and also, just on the theme of aging, it has nothing to do with um, with with movies, but it's a. I've, I've been reading this set of three novellas by Simone de Beauvoir called uh, "The Woman Destroyed," and it's and it's such an interesting glimpse into uh, the head of a woman who's not necessarily a sympathetic character at all, but she thinks about she's in a long marriage. She thinks about it the way the marriage works out, her attitude toward her child who's growing up and she can't deal with it. It's just, it's just one of those novels, novellas. I, I read it on, a, I went to Chicago last week and I read it on the plane and I just couldn't stop reading it. It's a page turner, uh, very serious though, a dive into somebody's head. Um, that is great. It's called The Woman Destroyed. So I want to mention, That's first it. of all, that there are two um, award ceremonies uh, coming up in the next few days. I, I don't think we as viewers are invited to either one of them. One, is the, one of them is the Annie's, which is tomorrow night. It's for animated uh, movies, and it's um, 
Uh, well, anyway, it, some of the two of the movies that we talked about, uh, the Del Toro, P- Pinocchio, and Marcel, uh, I think are heavy favorites in a bunch of categories. So um, that's kind of an interesting thing. And then just a few days later, I think on Tuesday, uh, there's the Audis, and the Audis are the awards for audiobooks, uh, and they include um, uh, awards for performances. I was, by the way, amused to note today that the Irish detective novelist Adrian McKinty, whom I've kind of become friends with on Twitter, was saying that he, you know, one of his books is nominated and he didn't know that they were so fancy, uh, these awards, and he doesn't own a tie and he's going to go buy one because they have an open bar and Paul Bloody Simon, he says, is going to be there. But anyway, one of the books that's nominated <laughs> for uh, for an Audi uh, is The Maid by Nita Prose. And this is kind of a mystery novel. Uh, the uh, protagonist is a hotel maid. She is non-neurotypical. Uh, uh, it's never entirely spelled out what exactly that amounts to, although some of it amounts to uh, some pretty excessive ideas about cleaning. Uh, and she gets swept up in due to her innocence and her inability to sort of read some of the social cues in certain situations. She gets swept up into just a, a terrible murder. Uh, and I want to mention not only is this a really, really good book, but the audio version is performed, read slash performed by Lauren Ambrose, who is up for an Audi for that and is remarkable. Uh, this is the kind of audiobook that wouldn't have worked if you didn't find the voice of this character, because the character of the maid is the first person narrator of this book. And it's, you know, it's just so vital. If it's going to be an audiobook, the person has to kind of nail that character because she's going to be in our head for eight, 10 hours, however long the book is. Uh, and Lauren Ambrose just did a remarkable job, not only with that voice, but other voices in, in the book as well. So it's the maid. It was a bestseller last year. I'm kind of late to this party a little bit, but it also fits with these award ceremonies that are coming up. All right. So it is time for us to say goodbye, but thank you so, so much for listening to The Nose. We hope you'll be back next week. I have no idea what we'll be doing. We're going to figure that out in just a couple of hours. That's right. I see you on the radio. Mm, let me tell you, baby. I'll meet you down on a silent across from St. Francis, past the conservatory, up the street from the seminary. You know, it's a very, very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy, like a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we'll be laughing, talking, joking, talking about this and talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can get the best of MP.